Justin Henry is going to be preaching this morning, and um, before I have him come up, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, Justin Henry. Um, he, uh, he'll be leaving next week uh, to go to Fuller Seminary. Uh, I'm at, very excited about that for him. Let me tell you, so it was um, a little over five years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we had, our family, we had just moved to Washington, D.C. Was uh, attending uh, the district church, uh, our, our mother church in uh, Columbia Heights, and uh, Justin was one of the first people that I met. Uh, Justin had moved here uh, to pursue a career in policy and politics, and um, uh, once we moved uh, to the east side and moved over here, he moved over here as well and began serving as a small group leader, served on the production team in a lot of different ways. And I remember um, the Sunday that he um, came and he joined me, and we were over at that prayer station. And he said, you know, I've, I come from a, from a ministry family and have sort of been looking at other uh, vocational options, but my sense is that God wants me to serve in vocational ministry, that he wants me to be a pastor. And I've sort of run from that and neglected that. And he said, so I, I think it's time for me to begin taking steps towards that. And, and I said, that's right, because if you run from the Lord, that's bad. <laughs> you get swallowed by a fish. And I don't want that for you. Um, so we began praying, and I've watched Justin over, over those years from then to take deliberate and intentional and discerning steps to march towards the direction that he sensed the Lord calling him to. He's served as a pastoral fellow almost for two years now here at Christ City, raising support outside of our church, um, learning, attending conferences, getting next to other folks that could help him shape and to prepare him to be a pastor of a church in the future. And we have benefited tremendously because of his faithfulness to this community and to the city and to this church. And so as he comes, I want to pray for him. I want to pray over him. This isn't his last Sunday. Next Sunday's last Sunday, so I'm going to save all of my tears for then. Uh, but I do want to pray for him. And I pray that we would hear well from um, this man who loves this church and who loves this city, but loves Jesus more. And so by faith, he's going to continue to step out. So let me pray for Justin as he comes. Come on, brother. God, I do lift up uh, this man of God to you. I'm grateful for the ways that you have been faithful to Justin and that that faithfulness has been marked and has uh, uh, bore fruit in his life. Lord, we, we as a church would uh, bear witness and give testimony and to say, yes, it's good to the Spirit and to us that, um, that this one would continue to lead churches to disciple men and women and to point um, everyone who will listen towards hope that's found in Christ. God, thank you for the times that our lives have intersected well together. And as he comes to, um, to preach and to share with us and to remind us of who we are in you and of rhythms of rest and work that are appropriate for those that have been rescued by God, Lord, I pray that we would hear well. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome, Justin Henry. Amen. Uh, it, it looks like my tears are going to be saved for next week, too, which I'm grateful for. Uh, I wasn't sure. <laughs> uh, church, it's really, um, it's really good to be with you here this morning. Uh, this is such a tender and beautiful space. Um, as Watson said, over the past year and eight months, I've been serving this church, uh, first as a discipleship fellow with the district church, and now as a pastoral fellow with Christ City. And these months have been focused on learning from Matthew and from Justin, but also from Andrea and Nikki and Melissa and from my small group and from all of you. Um, and now in a little over a week, I'll be leaving this place and settling in a new one to find some more teachers. Um, I'm continuing my Master's in Divinity that I started online. I'm doing it now in person in California. And I'm so excited. 
and I'm so sad. <laughs> this community has been everything to me. Um, since I happened upon it in July 2012. And my story is now forever wrapped up in your story. And whether you like it or not, your story is gonna be wrapped up in mine. Um, so in order to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life and from my move, I've decided to drive to California uh, and take my time doing it. So I know for the next few years I'll be in school, uh, but after that, everything's a little bit of a mystery. So for now I say goodbye, I'll see you soon, um, until we journey again together. So we've been in a series on uh, Sabbath in the month of August, examining it as a historical artifact of the Jewish people, as a commandment to them and now to us, and more widely as a way for us to understand our relationship with God and God's intention for our lives. First, Watson examined Sabbath as an act of worship, and then Justin examined Sabbath as an act of justice, and today we'll be discussing Sabbath as community. I actually, uh, I couldn't decide which preposition would work best to talk about this, so I decided I'm gonna touch on all three. Uh, Sabbath in community, Sabbath as community, and Sabbath for community. Right. Uh, if you'll pray with me as we get started. Father, we gather together today as a community to worship as a community and to learn as a community and to rest as a community. Thank you for the invitation to your rest. Father, we long to accept that invitation and we thank you for your grace and patience as we discern how. So give us the grace to cease to rest. Show us how to do that together. Show us how we can provide that for others and for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So from the very beginning of the commandment to Sabbath, we were meant to Sabbath as a community. From the very first moments uh, in Deuteronomy 5, it's, Deuteronomy is a, it's a second giving of the Ten Commandments, right as the Israelites are preparing to enter into the Promised Land after their long wandering. And so uh, Moses is like going over everything they've learned while they were in uh, the desert. And he's recapitulating the, the Ten Commandments. He's giving them again. Uh, verses 12 through 15, that's the second time we see the commandment to Sabbath. And in the 14th verse, we see a description of who is included in that commandment, who is meant to obey it, who it's for. And it says, you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and your donkeys and all your animals and the immigrant who is living among you. Now, I'm not under the impression that the rest of the Ten Commandments don't apply to one's sons and daughters, even though it doesn't say so specifically. But here, Moses is very clear in his second giving of the Ten Commandments, he's very clear that this day of rest is meant for everyone. And that no one is to work just so that others can rest. This is what Justin talked about last week when we talked about the, the justice of Sabbath. So Sabbath was the time to gather together for public reading of scripture, for singing songs, for gathering with family and extended family, for chosen family, and it was a time for eating together. I remember when I was researching all the things that were prohibited on the Sabbath for Watson, and uh, I became interested in, okay, uh, 
where does it spell out exactly what you are supposed to do on the Sabbath? Here's this long list of things that have been prohibited us on the Sabbath, but where's the instructions about how I'm supposed to spend my time on the Sabbath? And I realized it doesn't say so because on the Sabbath, the thing is, you're supposed to do nothing. <laughs> you're supposed to stop. Because the Sabbath is about resting, and so pretty much the only instruction in the Bible about Sabbath is to rest. But lots of traditions... Um, grew up around this instruction to rest. It developed around all the activities that are possible when you're resting, and which ones are good, and which ones might accidentally lead you to do some work. Um, which is why we now say, you know, you should like, turn off your phone on the Sabbath, because your phone is just like a gateway to accidental work. It's just an accidental work honeypot waiting to ensnare you. And if we're meant to keep the Sabbath sacred, you gotta avoid it. Now, the kind of work they were avoiding when the Sabbath was first instituted, it was a very different kind of work. But the fact that there were all these laws and traditions meant to keep them from accidentally doing work makes me believe that they're not so different from now. I could imagine, like, you know, happening in the barn and being like, Jeremiah, why are you milking this goat? And he's just like, just one more. I just kind of milk this goat real quick. Just one more email. Right? So now and then we focus on uh, ceasing of Sabbath and setting up the boundaries against the temptation to work. The temptation to dishonor the gift that God's given us. The legalistic rules and interpretation, they're just aids to fulfill the commandment to Sabbath. And this, the same is true of the traditions that developed around what we actually spend our time doing. Right? These things are gathering with family, both immediate and extended. Reading scripture, singing songs, eating food. These are things that you have to do with others. These are things that are meant to sweeten life. So the boundary prevents you from your worst tendencies. And these sweeteners are meant to encourage you to your best tendencies. We know what we're like at our worst. What happens when we decide that we are our own gods. When we decide that we are our only providers. When we decide that our identity is secured by our own hands. So acting on my anxiety and my fear I turn to destructive definitions of my worth. And at, but at my best, I've declared that Jesus Christ is God of every aspect of my life. Yes. And I've declared dependency on Jesus Christ as my provider. And I've placed my, entirely, my identity entirely in him. Yes. So Sabbath is not just an activity or a lack of activity. It's an entire way of being an individual and an entire way of being a community. It's an orientation of your life. It's an orientation of your effort and your energy and your relationships, and it sets you apart as an individual. It sets you apart as a community from the wider world. I think we have a tendency to think about Sabbath as a, a day-long quiet time. And we consider it things like meditation or journaling or praying. And yeah, yeah, do those things. Those things are good things. Quiet time is good. In fact, it's incredibly important and precisely what a lot of us do need on Sabbath. But it's not the only thing that Sabbath is for. So there are those of you who need those alone times and for whom those alone times are a restful practice that you don't get to during the week. But again, solo activity is not all that the Sabbath is about. The practices that we're being encouraged to in tradition, all the traditions that have come around Sabbath, they're communal activities. They require being together with others and they require resting with others. 
So when the Israelites were wandering in the desert after the Exodus, before they entered the promised land, God gave them Sabbath. Now they were in a place, a desert, where it's difficult to find food. And it was difficult to find water. So God miraculously provides for them. Manna fell from heaven every day, every morning. And the amazing thing about this miracle to me is that it was impossible to take advantage of. No matter how much manna you gathered, when you got home and you took the lid off the, off the like, basket, you had the exact amount that you needed for the day. No more and no less. So if you'd gathered more than you needed, you, you got home and you had less than you needed. If you'd gathered less than you needed, you had more. This is where we get actually the part of the Lord's Prayer where we say, give us today the bread we need now. It means not too little and not too much. So those who'd gathered a lot of manna, they'd find themselves with less. And those who hadn't gathered enough would find themselves with more. And now I imagine Moses was telling them about this whole system. And some wise guy in the back of the room was like, hey Moses, but what about Sabbath? If I can't stockpile the food I need, how am I going to rest on the Sabbath? Uh, And I bet this guy really thought he had Moses in some kind of logic headlock uh, locked in a corner. But he really didn't, because what was instituted was a day of preparation. And on Friday, you would gather double the amount of manna that you normally did. And it would keep, and you'd have enough for the next day. This framework continued even into uh, the Promised Land, a place that was more abundant with food. Sabbath, especially communal Sabbath, Sabbath when you gather together with your people, it requires preparation gathering together to eat and sing and be together for a day, it takes work. Sabbath takes work. Rest takes labor. All these elements, they are part of our gathering together on Sunday mornings. We have singing songs, and we have uh, food, and we have people. So the traditions continue. And yeah, it looks different, uh, but this place, this space, it's meant to be our place of rest. And now, I'm sure as then, it takes work for a community to gather together. Someone has to work harder to prepare the food the day before. Someone has to work harder the day of to set the table. Someone has to be in charge of the children. Someone has to hold the baby, right? And now we have teams of people that prepare this space for us all to gather in, and that takes work. But the day of preparation is meant to be just as much a part of our weekly rhythm as our day of rest. Doing work on behalf of a community, doing work so that your community can gather, that's a part of the Sabbath. And and this might sound like an oxymoron. How am I supposed to enter rest if I have work to do? There's always been work to be done. As we said, mothers and fathers still need to take care of children. And even if you're supposed to cook on the day of preparation, you still have to set it out on Sabbath. And I don't know if they did dishes or not, but I'm assuming that they had to clean up after themselves on the Sabbath. Now let's be clear, you prepare enough food for two days on Friday, and you eat the leftovers on Saturday. So Sabbath is a day of leftovers. (laughs) Right? You invite people over, and you eat the leftovers from the day before. Look, overall, here's how I think there might be a helpful way to think about this. The, traditionally, Sabbath was considered like a queen or a bride that you were welcoming into your home. And preparing for an important guest, it takes work. Hosting VIPs takes work. Uh, But that ended once you set the table. 
Then you sat, and you ate, and you enjoyed, just like when you have people over for dinner. Jesus was once invited into the house of a good friend, and he saw this dynamic playing out, where the sisters were having some tension about how they were meant to be interacting with this very important Jesus. And Jesus told them, come, sit, and enjoy. But the only way to enter that rest, when there is work to be done so that everybody can do it, is that we all have to do it. We all have to chip in. Justin talked last week about how Sabbath is meant for everyone. And to me, that means that everyone has a role to play on the Sabbath. If Sabbath is meant for everyone, and no one is meant to work, everyone is meant to enter rest, then we have, it is crucially important that we do it as community. If Sabbath is meant for everyone, everyone has a role on the Sabbath. If you are resting on the day of preparation, resting when you should be working, and when, if you're working when you should be resting, the entire ecosystem of Sabbath as a community can be thrown out of whack. Right? These roles, they're determined by personality and strength and season of life. We should not expect the same kind or amount of contribution from everyone. Instead, we should encourage everyone to follow Jesus and to pursue Sabbath rest, to be obedient. And when they do so, our community will have what it needs on the Sabbath. If we're all following Jesus, our community will have what it needs on the Sabbath. God provided the exact right amount of manna. And I trust God to give us all the right amount of rest and the right amount of labor. I'm so grateful that not everyone Sabbaths the exact same way that I do. <laughs> that not everyone needs the same kind of break that I do. Uh, I'm grateful that there are some people that Sabbath in the like, exact opposite way that I Sabbath. Like, so there are introverts and they desperately need to be alone and that's how they Sabbath and I am grateful for them. Uh, and then there's me and I Sabbath, I need to be around people. Uh, I wanna have people in my house, I want to eat food with them and I am grateful for those uh, who need that. But since we're meant to Sabbath together, that means we're not all gonna get exactly the ideal Sabbath for us. It means we have to compromise. Um, A.J. Soboda, who wrote the book that we are reading in uh, the book group I'm leading this month called Subversive Sabbath, he talks about his marriage and he talks about how his wife is an extrovert, he's an introvert. How can they possibly Sabbath together? Well, they compromise. And they also have a small son. He needs looking after on the Sabbath. And who does it fall to? Well, they work it out. And one of the ways they work it out is they decide together on what's the opposite of their normal rhythms so that the Sabbath can provide a break and a change in expectation, an interruption of the routine. Because remember, Sabbath isn't just about boundary, it's also about the sweetener. So Sabbath also has to be Sabbath for their son, right? Every morning they wake up, um, they decide not to make the bed, making the bed is against the rules on the Sabbath in the Swoboda household, um, and they make enormous pancakes. And I'm sure that making enormous pancakes with like a two-year-old is work, and that is a pain. <laughs> but that's what they do, because Sabbath is about enjoying. So AJ feeds his son an enormous spoonful of honey. And this is a tradition that was started actually um, in Israel. It was started so that children would have a deep knowledge of the sweetness of Sabbath. Right? They would have a Pavlovian response. They would start drooling when someone says the word Sabbath. <laughs> There's some labor for both AJ and his wife to do on the Sabbath that they don't normally do to provide Sabbath for each other and for their son. 
a different kind of work in order to enter rest. We ought to be obedient to remember the Sabbath for ourselves as part of a community. As always, each according to our station and stage of life and ability and personality. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul compares the diversity and the collaboration of a church, uh, he compares it to the human body. We're called to be one like a body is one with a diversity of strengths and abilities and expressions. But together we make up something greater than some of its parts. I, as I said, I'm an extrovert and I very much enjoy helping people. It's how I show my love. <laughs> uh, maybe you've seen me running around setting something up or tearing something down. Um, I really do enjoy working on behalf of a community. So when I'm here on a Sunday sweating like crazy or desperately trying to get something to the work that's just not working, <laughs> I experience it as an act of worship. Uh, there are exceptions to that. Uh, there are bad days. But you see, uh, helping people, it's, it's a labor, but it's my rest. I'm not meant to navigate the complexities of this fact that one thing can be both my labor and my rest. I'm not meant to navigate that alone outside of a Sabbath community. Right, if I continue to use Paul's analogy of the body, yeah, the hands are really good at holding stuff, but they get tired, especially if the arms aren't helping. The hands find their greatest expression of what they are good at as part of a body. They find the greatest expression of both their work and their rest as part of a body. Sabbath places a boundary on my helping and shows me how it can be healthy and unhealthy. It shows me its intended place in the world. But if my helping is being expressed well on Sunday mornings and not on other areas, then I've got, I've got I've, things I need to work on. And this community has to be the community that calls me out on that and says, Justin, your rhythms are out of whack. Come and rest. Or, Justin, you're not laboring enough in the right areas. Do some work. Let's help you. Uh, this is why our Sabbath experiments this fall are going to be so helpful. This fall, following this series, we're going to be conducting a series of experiments around the practice of Sabbath. And it's my hope, even though I won't be here, uh, that each individual member of this congregation discovers a way to enter more deeply into the rest that God has set apart for them on Sabbath, but also that you find ways of practicing Sabbath together, that you find ways that your personal Sabbath practice can contribute to the community and give others in the community space to rest as well. Because Sabbath is a boundary and an intention for individuals, but Sabbath is also a boundary and an intention for the whole community. God gave all of the Hebrews Sabbath, and the Sabbath formed them as a community. It was the ideal to which they were meant to aim and the boundary across which they could not traverse, the rule they couldn't break. Sabbath limited the kind of society that Israel could be. I've been coming back to this idea, this boundary and intention idea. So Sabbath is both the carrot and the stick. It's the good cop and the bad cop. It keeps us from becoming our worst and it orients us to our, our best. This, again, this is true for us as individuals and it's true for us as a community. It was the sign of a covenant between us and God. Sabbath is what sets us apart from all the peoples that surround us. 
all the peoples that surrounded Israel. It was what made them holy. If every week you have to do double work on Friday and prepare for a day in which we will not work, you have to organize society to accommodate for that. You all have to agree. And that organization, that difference, and the way that it points to how things are supposed to be, that's a witness to the entire world. I think this is also true of the other rest practices that God commanded along with Sabbath. Um, so there's Sabbath, there was sabbatical, and there's jubilee. Every seven years, the land was to be given a Sabbath as well. This was called sabbatical. Nothing was planted. You could eat from your stores and whatever wild thing grew, but you could not plant or cultivate the land, and the land was meant to have a rest. Justin talked about this last week in the context of our care for the land, and he challenged us to think about how we're answering the call of God to give the land rest. Now, Jubilee, Jubilee was every 50 years, and every 50 years, every debt would be forgiven. Anyone who'd sold themselves into slavery would be released, and any land that was purchased would be returned to its original owner. If you practice sabbatical, and if you practice Jubilee, it places limits on the kind of society that you can be. If you faithfully practice Sabbath and Jubilee, your society can't develop extreme wealth inequalities. If you faithfully practice Sabbath and Jubilee, your society cannot develop a permanent slave caste. Ezekiel 20, 12. Um, so Ezekiel 20 is about uh, the, God's punishment uh, for Israel and about this sign of Sabbath as a covenant between them and what happens when we break that covenant. Ezekiel 20, 12 says, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us that I, the Lord, have set them apart for my purpose. Sabbath was a covenant that the whole community held with God. It was the sign of the covenant, the thing that set them apart. Just as circumcision was the external sign of a covenant for an individual, Sabbath was the external sign for the entire society. And along with the practice of Sabbath, all of the resulting effects that practicing the Sabbath have on a society, all the ripple effects. When they didn't keep the sign, when they failed to remember the sign and remember who God was and what God had done and who they were, they were sent into exile, back into a desert. First and Second Chronicles recounts the entire history of Israel from Adam until the exile into Babylon. And at the very end of Second Chronicles, chapter 36, it describes an utterly destroyed Jerusalem. It says in verse 21, This is how the Lord's word spoken by Jeremiah was carried out. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest. For as long as it lay empty, it rested. It took exile for the land to finally have its Sabbath. Because Sabbath wasn't being practiced, it took exile. And it says when they were in exile, these people who were not practicing Sabbath, then the land was able to have its rest. Friends, I don't want to come to a place where our exile is required for the land to enjoy its Sabbath or for the world to enjoy its Sabbath. I don't want it to be necessary for one group of people to lose their Sabbath so that others can have it. That's not our command. Our command is to figure out a way together that we Sabbath together. And that means we all have to do a little bit more work on the day of preparation. Our community can be a place of Sabbath, not just as a community that encourages the practice of Sabbath, which we absolutely should be, but also as a community where the practices that require a community to complete can be done. Communal worship requires community. The communal table requires community. And we can be that community we are called to be Sabbath. And there's another kind of labor from which we find our rest in community. 
As Christians, I believe we're called to vulnerability and to intimacy with our communities, especially if we're going to grow in Christ. As Christians, I believe we're called to lay down our burdens of our mind and to share the load. As Christians, we're called to carry others' load when they can't do it themselves. As Christians, as Christ City Church, I believe we're called to be Sabbath for those struggling with anxiety and depression and seeking a place of safety without shame and condemnation. I think we're called to be Sabbath for those struggling with addictions or disordered consumption. I think we're called to be Sabbath for those who've struggled with their deepest identities, who are still discovering new and uncovered parts of themselves that they're afraid of or that they don't think any community can know about. I think we're called to be Sabbath for those who have been hurt by the church, who've been burned out by religion. I think we're called to be Sabbath for those afraid of never finding a home, of finding a home and being sent away from it, or having to flee a home they hoped to never leave. Christ City Church is the place where I stopped working through these things alone. Christ City Church is where I found listening ears and open hearts and hands and where my burden was lightened because other people took it up with me. Now, not everyone has had this experience in our church. There are those for whom it has been and can be a place of labor and for whom it takes some labor to join us on Sundays. And I think it's important that we be so grateful for the presence with us. And there are those who I personally have, instead of lightening their load, I've made it heavier by not paying attention to the consequences of my actions. And in all this, I'm being shaped by the gift of Sabbath, and I think we all are. If we're gonna be a community of Sabbath, it's gonna be through the unity that Christ gives us. John, in John 17, Jesus prays for his church, the church that's coming. And he prays that just as he and his Father are one, that they would be one. That as he is in his Father and his Father is in him, that he would be in us, his church. And in that way, we would be in the Father. In order for us to be a community that gathers well, that Sabbaths well, that, shapes, that, that uh, shares one another's burdens well, we have to know each other pretty well. We have to be patient and gracious with one another. We have to give one another the space to grow and be whatever season that we're in. And we have to be there to hear one another's stories when we change the chapter. We have to learn to tell and share our own story to the people in our community. We have to show up for one another. Over and over and over and over again. We have to be willing to do whatever kind of work in the hopes of finding our rest in a community that is being formed into Christ-likeness. Our whole community is being formed. Yes, each of us as an individual is being formed, but our community is also being formed together. We must find our oneness, and we have to be willing to be different from the world, set apart for God's purposes. Sabbath um, was worship, and it is worship. Sabbath was justice, and it's justice now. Sabbath was community, and Sabbath is community now. And Sabbath was a meal, and Sabbath is a meal now. This is the meal that we're invited to. We're invited to a meal on Sabbath. An unearnable gift that is given and not taken. 
a gift of rest, a gift of grace, a gift that unites us with one another, a gift that transforms us. Jesus was crucified on a Friday on a day of preparation. On that day, he labored doubly. And he labored on all of our behalf. And then on the Sabbath, he rested. And on Sunday, a new thing happened. An eighth day of creation that he is the firstborn of. And we are invited to be created again in Christ. To be made into a new thing. Set apart from the world and sanctified. We are invited into the rest that is Christ and all that he's done for us. We are invited to partake of the meal that he prepared for us. And then from Christ's labor at the beginning, we're given the opportunity to steward the creation of a new world. That's what we remember on our Sabbath day, on our Sunday. That's what we remember at this table. We can't do Sabbath without community. This table doesn't exist without community. And I don't know if we can truly do community if we're not doing Sabbath as our guide. And so I want to invite you to come forward and come and remember that you are given rest from your labors as a member of this community. From your body's labor and your mind's labor and your spirit's labor. That God's given us the gift of boundaries and a vision for who we're meant to be. That he's given us a sign of the covenant between us and God that sets us apart and forms us into the people of God. We get to come and taste that vision tangibly. We get to come and taste the meal that Christ prepared for us and for his disciples. The meal meant for our remembrance. We eat taking his body into ours, becoming one with him and one with one another, sharing a meal that was given freely. This is where we eat together and together orient ourselves toward Christ so that we'll be one. When we share in these rhythms, when we provide this space for one another and we join each other there, here, uh, we find something new about each other and we see each other honestly. When we all take communion together, we see that grace is evenly distributed. And it's the same grace for all of us. So come together. Come all. Come as a community um, and taste the grace of Jesus Christ.